Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. Yes, we have made it to chapter 3, and for all of you thinking, wow, we started this in August. We've gone through two chapters of 1 Peter. You have three chapters of 1 Peter left, and then 2 Peter, and you're going to get all that done before Advent begins in December. You see, in my family, we have this thing called Daddy Minutes, where when dad says it'll be 10 minutes, you know you must triple that at least. It turns out sometimes that applies to sermon series as well. So we'll go through 2 Peter till we get to Advent, and then we'll take a break for Christmas, and then we'll just start right back up again in January. So 2 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, we are still in this part I told you about last week. It's called a household code. Super common in writings in the ancient worlds. I realize you probably have not read a lot of household codes, but if you studied classics in college, you read a lot of household codes. And, and their word households much bigger than ours. They, they don't mean nuclear family, people living in the same roof. Household for them, it goes out into the community. And so you have masters and servants and you have governments and citizens and households big for them. These ideas of how, how, teaching people how to relate to each other and how to live to each other, they're super common. So let's read the next part of Peter's household code. This is chapter three. I'm going to read verses one through seven. He's talking about husbands and wives. Wives, in the same way, submit yourself to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So you all don't see this, but we, we have an internal document that details out the, the, the course of a service. So it has who's doing what and who's singing what and what keys the music is in and how long everything goes. And I, I always put a title for the message up there. It will eventually end up as the title online. And I entitled this message, Mowage, that blessed arrangement. Okay, so you are also, see there's a disagreement in my family about the princess bride. I think it's so funny it's painful, and my wife just thinks it's painful. <laughs> so, um, but like, I, that, this, and you know the story, right? The evil prince is trying to marry the good princess. She doesn't want to get married, so he's forcing her. She's there being, there's guards there for this marriage, and he brings in this totally clueless cleric, right, who doesn't realize at all what's going on, and is just prattling along like Elmer Fudd, love treasure your love right she's armed guards are holding her there to keep her from fleeing this marriage there's a rebellion going on in in the room right outside and he's clueless he's just sort of prattling along and that's kind of where our world is these days on marriage as I was doing some of the research for this, and I, and I was doing some reading, so I'm looking at magazine articles and books that have come out lately, like, where is marriage in our world today? And so I, and I'm, I'm not in the National Enquirer. 
I'm reading the New York Times and the New Yorker and some of these things, and there's articles on toxic monogamy. Now, it used to be, like for the last 20 years, people have been trying to argue that monogamy or non-monogamy, they're both okay choices. And now we're shifting to saying, oh no, monogamy's bad. Being faithful, that's toxic. You're harming someone. This is a true story. At the end of one of these articles about why monogamy's not so good, there's a big, you know, they pull things out and they make it big and you can click on it. And it says, considering a non-monogamous relationship, download our free starter guide. What in the world is going on that, that you think this is a, that people being faithful to each other is a bad, harmful idea? And then remember, that's what Peter said back in verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, though you do what is good and right, and what I think most people, if you surveyed a thousand people, I don't think you'd get a whole bunch of them saying, oh yeah, being faithful to your, your marriage partner, that's a terrible idea. But we're putting it out there in print and trying to convince everybody that it's the right thing to do. If you surveyed all these people, I get you'd get one answer, and yet there's this other answer in our culture that's just trying to push its way in and push and push and push and push. And that's what Peter told us was going to happen. You're going to do what's right, and they're going to accuse you of doing what's wrong. And so I think it's appropriate that when Peter talks to the wives, the women, he begins in the same way, and the same thing then in verse 7 with the husbands, in the same way. Because I think he's referencing back to what he told us originally. Like, just like we talked about before, you're going to do what's right, people are going to tell you it's wrong. Just like what he said in verse 17, fear God. You're going to do these things because God wants it done. Because this is what it looks like to fear God. So wives, he says, and just a quick aside, because I realize not all the women in the room are wives and not all the men in the room are husbands. The word for wives is, is the word woman. And the word for husbands is the word man, because everybody's married in this world. Once you hit puberty, then, then you're married off. Your parents have arranged your marriage and you're married. There's no separate word for somebody who's of marriageable age and isn't married until you get into words like widow and widower and things like that. So he's going to talk about relationships between husbands and wives, but not everything he says is only applicable in marriage. Some of it is simply, this is how you should live as a Christian man or a Christian woman. So wives, women, in the same way, just like we've been talking about, submit yourself to your own husbands. Now, I told you, you got to watch out. The word submit in their world doesn't have negative connotations it, ha it, it is more a positional word. It's often used about things just as much as about people. In our world, submit's kind of like somebody wins and somebody loses. In their world, you're just saying you're lining up. So while I'm making ancient movie references, anybody remember the movie 300? The Spartans fighting the Persians, right? Somebody asked me once, as a classics major, right, are the battle scenes in there at all realistic for what it would have been like for those two armies to fight each other? Like, well, actually, when you see them in the shield wall, yeah, that's actually how they fought. They fought in phalanx. They fought with their shields locked together and spears. Yeah, that's very accurate. Now, when you see one guy charging out naked, you know, with a sword and slashing and hundreds of people being thrown in the air, no, that's not how they fought. That's how their enemies fought. That's why they always won. Because idiots charged at them one by one and just ran into this wall of shields and got mowed down. 
They, they just moved together forward, just wiping everything out. In their language, a shield wall, each man submits, same word, to the man on his right. He stands a little behind him because you each hold your shield like this and your sword or your spear like this. Your shield covers your left side and the right side of the guy next to you. And you lie, each shield lines up behind the next one. And so you, you step a little behind the guy in front of you and you make this shield wall. And in their language, you submit to the shield brother on your right. So it's not a bad word. It doesn't have terrible connotations, but it absolutely means that you place yourself behind that person and you trust them. Because that's what's happening in that shield wall. (laughs) That guy who's holding that shield up that is covering your side where you have a spear, you're trusting him to protect you. You are submitting to him. And that's what Peter says, ladies. That's what you're supposed to be doing. And and remember, they say submit yourself. There's two forms of this word. There's an active form, meaning you make someone do it. Only God ever gets to do that in the Bible. God, it says, will submit the world to Jesus' feet. So we translate it, he'll place the whole world under Jesus' feet. We are supposed to, scripture says, we submit ourselves. We voluntarily choose. Interestingly, gentlemen, the scriptures never say, men, make your wives submit. It says, wives, submit yourself to your husband. And I really like what Peter does next. I've told you, when I read these things, I've got this little inner lawyer in my head that starts going. And I think, well, sure, I'm going to try and put myself in the place. If I was a wife, I'm married to this guy. Well, sure, as long as he's a Christian, right? Because, I mean, if he's submitted to God, then I can submit to him. Again, it's like that shield wall. I mean, as long as he's in his proper place, then I can stand in my proper place. And the next words out of Peter's mouth are about, what about if your husband's not a Christian? Like, obviously, I don't think he's writing this to me, (laughs) but he is answering the first question that pops into my mind. So that if any of you do not believe the word, if any of them do not believe the word, like, he immediately answers the, the, the question I would have, which is, well, sure, but what about this situation? You don't submit to your husband because he's a Christian. You submit to your husband because God has asked you to. Because that's what God has given to you. That's what God has called you to. And I really like the way Peter says this. He says, you know, if, you, if any of them do not believe the word, they'll be won over without words. Because they're not believing Jesus when anyone else tells it to them. They're not going to believe it when you tell it to them. They will be one in a different way, Peter says. Now, ladies, if you tell people that you submit to your husband, like you voluntarily subordinate yourself, right? You, You stand behind his shield and you trust that he will protect you. At best, you will get called foolish wow, at worst, you will get called evil. You will say that you are doing harm to womankind everywhere. Our world says, absolutely, we're so individualistic. We cannot even conceive of a shield wall in our world anymore. That a bunch of people would line up and trust the person next to them. Trust them with their life. That 
does not compute. We all want to be that crazy berserker guy who runs out there. And what happens to those guys? They die. People who run out wild and crazy out into the fray, they get killed. But we are so individualistic. We are so committed to, I'm going to do whatever I want anytime I want it. Oh boy, if you say no, I voluntarily subordinate myself to my husband so that, that we, we form a solid wall to protect our family. Wow, again, you are going to get called foolish at best and probably something terribly, terribly worse. But Peter says this, this is what God expects of you. They'll be won over when they see the behavior of their wives. Verse two, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. That word reverence is literally fear. When your husbands see that you fear God, that's good for us. It is good for us as husbands to see that our wives fear God. And again, I've got this little inner lawyer going in there, and it's saying to me, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) Think about what you're saying, Jeff. You want me to trust this person next to me, right? Let's imagine, let's keep up my shield wall example, right? So we're all sitting here like this. We've all got our shields on one side, and we're protecting the person that's standing a little to the left of us and a little behind us. Right? And my job is to take that spear and to protect that person as well as people come up, as he protects me. You're saying, I just have to stand there in this guy, even though he might be an idiot. He might be a total moron. He might be a terrible fighter. What happens if the guy going like this in the wall goes like this to protect himself. Now you are wide open. Like my inner lawyer starts churning through this and saying, wait, 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 that, that's crazy. You don't know my husband. He's a loose cannon. He's an idiot. He's not a believer. He's never going to stand there and keep that shield up. It's squirrel. It's just something's going to happen and I'm going to be defenseless. And do you hear what Peter is saying to you. Submitting to your husband is not about what's best for you. It's about what's best for him. Ladies, your husbands see your devotion to God, your obedience, your fear of him, and it is good for us. And I think, wait a minute, that might not be good for me. And Peter says, that's not the point. The point is, it's good for them. It's good for your husbands to see that you obey. It's good for your husbands to see that you fear God. Like, wow, um, uh, you all have a tough row to hoe that you are called to submit yourself to your husband simply because he's your husband. 
Not for any other reason. Simply because God has called you to it. Now, we'll talk more about that when we get into when Peter talks about Sarah and what goes on there. But ladies, God has called you to voluntarily, to submit yourself. Again, they're not making you do it. You are choosing to place yourself in that position, knowing full well everything you know about your husband. My wife is so much wiser than I am. I hope I have the sense to listen to her. But she's got to stick herself right behind my shield because that's what God calls her to. And wow, that is humbling as her husband. Peter says, yeah, it's not about what it's good for you. It's good for your husband. That's the first thing he tells wives. The second thing he tells them is in verse three. Again, you all haven't read a lot of household codes. I've read dozens. Verse three is straight out of every household code ever written. I do not know why, but this is like, this was a big deal in 600 BC. It was a big deal in 400 AD. Like, oh, women shouldn't be going around in all those fancy clothes and all those jewels and that gold. Like, everybody says that everywhere in the ancient world. I don't know. Apparently, gold was a big deal or something. You read this. I mean, I read this because I've read lots of these, right? Your beauty should not come from outward adornment. Man, I, I could quote it. I could quote it to you from Cicero. I could quote it to you from Aristotle. I could quote it to you from all these guys that I've read studying the classics. It's, oh yeah, don't dress fancy. Don't wear jewelry. Don't do this. Don't have uh, clothes with, with loud colors on them. Don't, 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 right? Here's the thing. What you expect in verse four, what every household cold does is then you tell women what they should wear. You shouldn't wear these clothes. You should wear these clothes. And what every ancient writer says about what women should wear is the same. You should dress in accordance with the status of your husband in society. Your dress in the ancient world should draw attention to your husband. Because women are always in some relationship to a man in this world. You're a daughter, you're a sister, you're a wife. That's how you're viewed. Women can't own property in the Roman world. They, they can't even testify in court. They're always in relation to some guy. And so that's how you dress. You dress in relation to some guy. You dress in a way that calls attention to your husband. So, you know, if your husband's a senator, eh, it might be appropriate for you to wear some gold in your earrings, right? Nothing ostentatious, right? But wow, I mean, guys complain bitterly about the fact that wives of merchants are wearing gold earrings. Can you, who do they think they are? They think their, their husbands are only bankers. They're not senators. What are they doing wearing those things? Every household writer will tell you, this is what women should not wear, and this is what women should wear. And what does Peter say? He doesn't say, here's what you should wear. He says, your beauty should come from your inner self, the beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Peter says, ladies, your your dress, your appearance, is supposed to draw attention to your God, not to your husband. How you dress is supposed to be reflective of what your God is doing inside you. So a gentle and a quiet spirit. Quiet doesn't mean volume. It means peaceful, tranquil. Like we would say, oh, I, I, you know, I, we, we went on vacation by a quiet lake. 
It's not about the noise on the lake. It's about the fact that everything is peaceful. Peter tells wives not what you expect, which is, oh, here's what you should wear. He says, when people look at you, they should see your God. They should see what your God is doing in you. And wow, I read that and I think, that, that's just remarkable. Peter isn't forbidding. The way he writes it, he's not forbidding wearing nice clothes and, and braiding your hair and having gold and all those things. But he's saying, that's not the point. The point isn't to draw attention to yourself, which is what every ancient writer says. But the point isn't to draw attention to your, your family or your husband either. Your point is to draw attention to your God. And wow, that is so different. All right, so ladies, I ask you two questions. I got two for the husbands too, don't worry. Two questions. First, is your behavior good for your husband? Because I think that's what Peter's saying. Your behavior, the way you live, it should be an example to your husband. Your fear of God, your obedience, the choices that you make, that should be an example to your husband. And it should be for his good. Maybe not even for yours. But absolutely, it should be for his good. And second, does your appearance draw attention to what God is doing in you? Like if people look at you and interact with you, what the ancient writers wanted was that you would come and meet this woman and talk to her and see what she looks like and be impressed with her husband. Oh, because she dresses so well and she speaks so well and she's so knowledgeable. I mean, they, they talk about the things that, that you know, if you're, if you're the wife of a senator, then you need to be conversant in these affairs. And if you're the wife of a, a milk herder, then you need to know about these things. And Peter didn't do any of that. You, when people talk to you and they meet you and they converse with you, that should point them to your God. What you're like inside should point them to your God. Peter says, ladies, is your behavior, is it good for your husbands? Is it a good example to him? And secondly, when people meet you, when they talk to you, when they see you, is that gonna point them to your God? And wow, I am so impressed with what Peter does next, because I don't have the guts to do this. So my inner lawyer is churning on all of this. I'm like, this is crazy, you could get hurt. I mean, seriously, if you do this for a guy, you could get hurt. And Peter picks as an example a woman from the Old Testament who did this and who got hurt. Sarah did this for Abraham. She obeyed him. She did what he said. Do you remember the two stories about Abraham and Sarah? Abraham's a nomadic herder. He's a foreigner. He's from the kingdom of Summer and, and down by the, the rivers of, of um, the Tigris and Euphrates. And he's moved into Canaan, which is modern day Israel. So he talks with an accent. He looks different from them. He acts different from them. He's a nomadic herder, but twice because of famine and some other things, he has to move into a big city. And both times when he goes into that big city, he says to himself, my wife is stunningly beautiful and someone's gonna kill me to make her a widow so they can marry her. So he tells everyone, oh no, we're not married, she's my sister. So now people are nice to him to get to her instead of having to kill him to get to her. And so he actually becomes quite wealthy and popular because he's got this stunningly beautiful wife. 
both kings of those cities get told by someone, wow, have you seen the girl that just came through the gates? You need to, she's not married, sire. You got to snatch her up now. And they do. Sarah, his wife, because he will not say, this is my wife, Sarah, his wife, is taken into the harem of the king so he can marry her and sleep with her. (laughs) The night one of those kings does that, God comes to him in a dream and says, and this is a direct quote, you are dead. That woman you took, she is the wife of one of my servants, and I am going to destroy you for it. And the king goes, whoa, was married I haven't even touched her and God says you bet you haven't touched her I haven't let you touch her give her back says the king woke up went and woke his advisors told them what had happened and quote they were very very afraid these people don't worship Yahweh the God of Abraham they've probably never heard of him again oh but wow he showed up to protect Sarah Peter he says, look, this is how you got to live. And if you think about this for more than eight seconds, you will realize I could get hurt. Because again, somebody's going like this and he's supposed to be protecting you. And what happens if he protects himself by pulling his shield? Or what happens if he gets interested in going over here? What happens if he decides to be a crazed berserker and run forward? You are left defenseless. And Peter tells a story about a woman whose husband did exactly that. He threw her under the bus twice. And wow, did God show up to save her. No one touched her because God would not allow it. This is the Philistines and the Egyptians. They don't worship this God. He doesn't care. They still do what he says when he talks that way. Peter tells a story about a woman whose husband threw her under the bus. And he says, God protected her. This is how the holy women of the past who put their hope in God, not who put their hope in their husbands. Oh my gosh, Abraham did not live up to any hope Sarah might have put in him. But God did. And Peter tells tells that story. He's like, I think he's saying, yep, this is true. This can happen. But we trust God. In God, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear because this is scary. I've never been in a shield wall, right? But I can imagine being in a shield wall with a guy next to you who all of a sudden sees people running at him and goes, I'll move my shield over here to protect myself. And you're on your own. If you don't give way to fear, Peter says, ladies, is your... Is your conduct, is your behavior good for your husband? Are you a good example to him? And when people meet you and they engage in you, are they drawn to your God? Because they see what your God is doing inside you. Okay, gentlemen, not quite your turn yet. There's one more thing, and this is really word of Jeff, right? So, I mean, I'm not going to make theology. There's other stuff I'm confident on. Not going to make theology on this. Everything here so far, it's in the plural. That's weird. In this language, when you address people in the plural, it means you all go do it together. But they're not married to the same guy. You would expect him to say something like, ladies, each of you do this. Or address them in the singular, you singular. It's all in the plural. I think, I think he's talking to all of you together, saying that you need to do this together. 
that this is hard and you need to encourage each other. Like, you need to know, again, we're continuing my shield wall. Then interesting, I'm using a military analogy with the women. I thought, my shield wall analogy, right? You need to know you have shield sisters. You need to know there's other women in the line with you doing the same thing, taking the same risks that you are taking. Now, that's not our stereotypical idea of what happens when women get together and talk about their husbands. It's just generally not what you think of when you think of a bunch of women getting together and talking about their husbands. I don't, again, I'm not a woman. I've never gotten together and talked about my husband with another woman. So I'm totally going on what TV tells me, which, you know, of course, how can that possibly be wrong? But the idea, right, is that, that you get together and you complain about your husbands. And I think what Peter's saying is, you need to know you're all in this together. You are, you are all part of this shield wall you, you are all locking yourselves and, and submitting yourself to a man. You're all doing it, and you all need to encourage each other in that. Again, I'm not going to make theology on the fact that something's plural rather than singular. But it's weird. It's not what you would expect if he's talking to each woman separately. Now, gentlemen, your turn. Finally, uh, likewise, husbands. Be considerate as you live with your wives. Or, or your Bible translation, this is from the NIV. If you're reading a different one, it may say, live with them in an understanding way. He literally says, husbands, live with your wives according to knowledge. Peter says, gentlemen, that we are supposed to understand our wives and act accordingly. Now, if there's a trope that women get together and complain about their Husbands, I am a guy, so I can say this one is absolutely true. Guys get together and talk about how completely unfathomable their wives are. Anybody know that John Mayer song? You know, I know a girl. Uh, she puts the color inside of my world. But she's like a maze where all of the walls are all continually changing. That is how most men feel about their wives. That they're mazes where the walls keep moving. There's no possible way you can find your way out of this maze because it constantly moves. But Peter says, gentlemen, we're supposed to know our wives and that should inform our behavior. We are supposed to live with our wives according to knowledge. Pop quiz, gentlemen, score yourself. What's your wife's favorite color? What's your wife's favorite movie? Where does she like to eat? What does she like most about your family? What does she like least about your family? Why did she marry you? <laughs> to most of us, our wives are a maze where the walls are continually changing. And Peter's saying, no, that's not true. Your wife may be a maze. Guys, we can train rats to go through mazes, okay? You can learn to get through and figure out the maze of your wife. And in fact, you are commanded to. You are commanded to live with your wife according to knowledge. And most of us don't know our wives very well. And guys, that's on us. <laughs> Women are never called to know their husbands. <laughs> Women are never called to understand their husbands. I don't know if that means we're so completely understandable that it takes no work whatsoever, or it's just like, you know, that's not, God's not asking that. 
But oh, he is asking us to understand our wives. If you have guts, and honestly, you know, you notice I'm preaching this while my wife is teaching children's church, okay? I don't know if I have the guts to do this when I get home, right? Ask your wife, do you think I understand you? Do you see in my conduct? That's what he says, live your life with your wife. Do you see in how I live with you that I understand you? Because gentlemen, it's a command, It's not a suggestion for a better marriage. There's not even a guarantee that it will make your marriage any better. Again, we're in the same way because we fear God because it's the right thing to do. Because Jesus has said it, so we do it. Understand your wife and live with her appropriately. Then the second thing he says to husbands, treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of like. That treat them with respect is literally render to them the honor due them. As the weaker partner, or your translation might say the weaker vessel, it's literally like a cup or it's the tackle on a ship. Um, As the weaker partner and as heirs. And wow, you want to have some fun? Go check out the commentaries from about 100 AD till now on what weaker means in this case. But I'm just going with what he just said to women. Why are women the weaker partners? Because they have to submit to you. (laughs) Because they got to stand behind your shield and trust you're going to protect them. And you don't have to stand behind theirs and trust them. Gentlemen, you or your family, you and your wife, you're a board of two and you have the tie-breaking vote. And God says, render to them the honor that is due them as the weaker shareholder. You have a controlling share in this company. But remember, they're fellow heirs. Your family is not you as the CEO and your wife as an employee. It's not that you have equity and your wife has some cheap common stock. You both have equity in this family company. But you have the tie-breaking vote. Because she has to subordinate herself to you. And gentlemen, there's going to be an accounting for that one day. You are going to give an account for every time you use that tie-breaking vote. Every single time that you decided, okay, yep, well, this is what, yep, we don't agree, so this is the way it's going to go. You have to render to your wife the honor due her as a minority shareholder but who has just as much equity as you do. God is going to do that. So, there were two questions for the women, right? There's two questions for the men. Gentlemen, do you understand your wives? Do you live with them according to what you understand? And are you rendering them what is due them? Because they are a fellow heir. They are not below you anywhere. They have the same father you have. You will give an account one day for whether you gave your wife the honor that was due her because she is Jesus' daughter just like you are Jesus' son. She has just as much equity as you do. Do you know your wives? Are you treating them with the honor that God expects you to because you will give an account And then this one just makes me laugh. After having told women, I think, you know, you have to be unselfish. (laughs) 
You have to do what is best for your husbands. It may not be best for you. Peter then appeals to our selfishness. And hey, guys, I mean, if you do this, your prayers won't be hindered. Well, I, I don't know what the connection is. I don't know how those things like, like honoring your wife and knowing your wife, that, that helps your prayers. I don't know. There's tons of theories out there. But I do think it's funny that he ends talking to guys about, hey, you will get something good out of this. But I can't guarantee your marriage will be great. But it will help your prayer life. That's worth something. If your prayer life, you're struggling in your prayer life, maybe look at your marriage. Because Peter seems to think there is a connection. Ladies, how are you living? Wives, how are you doing? Gentlemen, husbands, how are you doing? Because this, this is what God has called us to. This is Peter's household code. It, it doesn't sound like the other ones. Because, wow, it calls both of us to exactly what the scriptures always call us to, to be like Jesus. We are all called to be like Christ. So I want to pray for us. Pray for all of us. Those of us who are husbands and wives, those of us who aren't yet husbands and wives, again, it also means men and women. There's truth in here for all of us. But ask yourself those questions. I'm going to pray that God's spirit will prompt you, he'll talk to you, that something will go on in there. I know for me, this has been kind of embarrassing. I've been married for over 30 years. I'm not sure I could tell you my wife's favorite color. I could guess. How did I let that happen? How did I get 30 years down the line and let that happen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. I mean, it is kind of you <laughs> that you lay out for us how you expect us to live because marriage was your idea. You made a man, you made a woman, you brought them together, you married them. This is before the fall. This is part of your good plan. It is kind of you to lay out for us how you want us to live together. But wow, Lord, um, this is hard and we're not good at it. And it calls us to a level of unselfishness that we are uncomfortable with. This calls us to sacrifice ourselves for our spouses. And Jesus, you, you know, you're human. You understand the pull of selfishness. And you know everything. You know how much our world today tells us we should be selfish. We should be individuals. We should do what we want. It doesn't matter what anyone else wants. We should do us and no one else. No one else can tell us anything. Only we decide. And yet here you are in your word. Wow, you are telling us what you expect. Jesus, help us to do exactly what you said. To fear you. To fear God. To not give way to the fear of anything else. Help us, Lord. Oh, we want to be people like this. We want to be people who live like this, who give ourselves away for our spouses. But Jesus, you know it's hard for us. Help us this week. Show us th th those two questions for each of us. Boy, bring them back. Point out to us what are the important things? What, what, what have we done? What have we left undone? Where do we need to change? Where do we need to move? Lord, we, we so desire to be these people. Help us, Holy Spirit. Fill us 
this week with your power so that we can do exactly what Peter says. We can fear God and obey. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.